Welcome, tennis fans, to KickServeRadio.com 2024, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, featuring International Tennis Hall of Famer, former world number one, Mats Vlander, and Texas Longhorn all-time great, two-time All-American Johnny Levine. Today's show also features a special edition of KickServe Rocks with Ariel Speedwagon's main man, Kevin Cronin. Your host of KickServeRadio.com is Andy Zoden. So, take it away, AZ. And take it away, I will. Welcome, everybody. KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And as you've already been told, we feature the great Mats Vlander, seven major championships in singles, one in doubles, all kinds of Davis Cup titles. He's an International Tennis Hall of Famer. You've heard it all, former number one in the world. Kevin Cronin's going to be joining us a little later. He is the lead singer of REO Speedwagon. So we will be doing a segment of Kick Serve Rocks. Johnny Levine, the two-time Longhorn All-American, will join us later in the show. But, Matt's right now, it's just me and you. Indian Wells is coming up. How are you? I am great. Uh, I am actually so excited to go to go back to Indian Wells. I haven't been there for the tournament in most probably 10 to 15 years. Um, and obviously, uh, it has grown like crazy. And I never had a chance to actually play the tournament there. We played at uh, La Quinta first for a couple of years in the mid-80s. And then over at the Grand Champions at the Hyatt, which is right across the street, literally. And then... Uh, I guess, Andy, we were so popular in the 80s that they realized this tournament's going to grow like crazy. Let's build this unbelievably beautiful tennis garden. Uh, But no, jokingly aside, uh, the tournament was growing later than they got the biggest names in the sport. And I mean, it's the fifth major. I would nearly I nearly have to agree with that in a way, even though I don't think there is such a thing. But I think it means more to the players than than most of the other ATP and WTA 1000s, to be honest. I wonder if that vision was akin to the guy that put up the first two hotels in the middle of the desert in Nevada, which is now Las Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) If there was the same kind of foresight that went into that, and clearly Larry Ellison has has had lots of vision and it has grown into, uh, as many people call it, the fifth major. And it's going, and you're probably more nervous going into this year's BNP Paribas Open than in previous years, just because of the performance that's going to be asked of you on Thursday night, March 7th, on the stage at Indian Wells Garden at the BNP. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be able to uh, do a, a podcast with you, Andy, oh, yeah. uh, and with our buddy Johnny Levine, and then have uh, uh, Kevin Cronin, our good friend from Mario Speedwagon, uh, be part of it and obviously he's part of Kicks of Radio Rocks uh, and he's just a great guy Kevin told me the first time I met him or the first time I spoke to him and actually he was going to play in a celebrity tennis exhibition uh, at uh, the LA Forum I guess it was called right. back then and he was so nervous that he thought you know what I, I'm not a good tennis player. I'm sure he's really good, but uh, I'm, I should bring my guitar just in case I screw up completely. <laughs> at least I can pull my guitar out and I can play a song. So, yeah, Andy, I uh, hopefully we get to play a couple of songs together, which would be amazing. Obviously, I'm not going to stand anywhere close to him and be in his way. I'm going to turn the turn the amplifiers way down. Uh, but I will bring my tennis racket so that I can save face just in case 
uh, I break a string on the guitar or something. But yeah, that's nerve wracking at the same time. Um, it's fun. And uh, I think people's expectations of a tennis player playing music is most probably not that high. But then again, how dumb are you when you take those kind of chances? But uh, that's uh, what I like to do, challenges in life and see how you handle them, whether it, whether you screw up or not. Well, I'm going to do a little backup singing without a microphone, and I'm going to probably just <laughs> lip sync that, and I'm going to play an invisible tambourine. So I'm going to stick my big, maybe we'll call it a big toenail in the water on on performing alongside you guys, just for the <laughs> sake of some comic relief, if nothing else. All right, let's turn to a more serious subject before we get back into the tennis at the BNP, because there's a big story Matt's and it concerns Rafael Nadal and the story has been about Rafa and his health and his comeback and it looks like he's healthy but then it doesn't and it keeps kind of going back and forth which I know is extremely frustrating for a lot of Rafael Nadal fans but what has been maybe even more frustrating for tennis fans maybe on a on a more political level has been uh, Rafa's association with the Saudi Arabian Tennis Federation and him taking on the role of ambassador for Saudi Arabian tennis. And on the surface, Matt, there's so much to be critical of and to be disappointed in. And all of these things, when you look at the kinds of things that Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova alluded to when they talked about playing the WTA Tour Championships there and just the, the different cultural and, 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 and human rights issues there that are not considered to be on a par with the Western civilization to which we have become accustomed. But I have to say that it makes me kind of curious to think that if Rafael Nadal has gotten involved with this, would he potentially know something that we don't and potentially see something that we don't that makes you give it a potential benefit of the doubt that he might be actually part of the long-term solution as to just kind of partnering up with the problem. Um, I think so. Obviously it's a, it's a pretty sensitive issue these days with with the live tour and the golfers going over there and being part of it uh, and the money coming from the uh, Saudi Arabian, I guess it's called a public fund. So I'm not sure where that money really comes from but but uh, i mean they're having sporting events they have uh they have a, a bunch of car races and and formula e they got a race um obviously i was there a couple of years ago they did a big tennis exhibition and daniel medvedev and nick curious and uh sasha Sverev and i mean it's an unbelievable field not a big crowd and i think that's where a lot of people sort of have a hang up a little bit they bring sporting events but there's not not that many people watching but at the same time they have to start somewhere so to me, I was there and I was trying to tell people it's most probably the most progressive country in the world, but it's only started doing that in the last 10 years. So the movement in the last sort of decade uh, towards human rights and, and women's rights, I think is, is extraordinary. And for, to me, that shows to me that they would like to change everything and they would like to become more, I suppose you could call it Western in the acceptance of everybody. If you then compare that to some of the other, uh, you know, Afghanistan or, or some of these other places where you clearly see that, that nothing's really changing, uh, then it becomes so political, Andy. I mean, should should everybody follow the Western culture in terms of in terms of the rights for women and whatever? Are we 
rushing those th- things along a little bit maybe and and the middle east can't keep up but i do think saudi arabia is um they are very willing i mean they really really want to change the image of the country they're building obviously they got money they're building shopping malls that are supposed to be the biggest in the world and they they have this long uh stretch of highway where they're building i mean they're just building so many new modern things and they have obviously a lot of the soccer players went over there and played for them so you know I'm not sure I guess it depends on where the money comes from I had a really good chance to speak to uh the president of the Saudi Arabian uh, Tennis Federation wow yeah who's actually a woman Okay. Uh, okay. Which is amazing. And then I spoke to some of the guys that I that I knew from the Junior Tennis Champion Center in in uh College Park, Maryland. Two of the brothers, two brothers were there and played there and I play with them a lot and they are working for the Saudi Arabian Tennis Federation. Nicest guys in the world. So, I think that we have to uh I mean, I would like to just not say anything about Rafa's involvement. Uh, before you really know something, because I think they're really trying much harder than most countries in that region to uh, to conform to more what the Western world thinks it should look like when it comes to human rights. But I mean, where do you cut the? Where do you cut it? I mean, who can and who cannot invest money in sports? Where do you go and play? Where do you not go and play? It's not that easy to to just say a country where you should not go because we don't have the background. But uh, if it's if it makes tennis grow, then I think it's great. And obviously Rafa Nadal most probably wants to put a, a, a Rafa Nadal Tennis Academy there at some point, which will then make the sport grow. Uh, the only thing you would like to see is some good Saudi Arabian tennis players come out and uh, maybe break in on the Pro Tour. Then suddenly it starts becoming very legit. Well, and I think... Personally, I would have to take a wait-and-see approach on seeing some of these cultural advancements. I think that that's going to be something that by the time the wheels of progress have turned to the extent that we would hope that they would, you and I are going to be pretty old guys. (laughs) That's for sure. To think that you send over someone like a Rafael Nadal, who I truly believe is is a very good-hearted person who probably has some extremely lofty global goals in mind. We've seen so much of what we've watched Roger Federer do transpose itself into what Rafael Nadal has tried to do. Rafael Nadal, make no mistake, is his own man. But I do believe that the example that Roger set just in the few years coming along before Rafa had Rafa kind of nodding in, in, in approval of to say, yeah, yeah, what he's doing on a global level, I, I want to be that kind of guy too. And that you, you know, if, if those are the type of people that have to be a part of the process, then I think you have to give Rafael Nadal an opportunity to try to help. Absolutely. Such a, I mean, you, you don't have to look further than the way that he behaves on the court and the way that he is in interviews. I mean, he's such a classy guy, always does his best. You know, he's done his homework. He's always prepared as well as he could, as long as his body could handle it. So he wouldn't do something like that unless he would know exactly where, where the funding is coming from, where it's going uh, and, uh, and that there's, progress going on but not just when it comes to tennis there so i do think you're a hundred percent right andy with it's rafa 
And when Rafa is involved, we really got to take it, be careful of, uh, of uh, saying too much that um, maybe we've heard through the media. And we don't really know because we haven't been there really. I've been there for five days. So if it's, if it's Rafa, it's Rafa. If it's Novak, it's Novak. And so let's turn our attention to him now, Matt, because as we turn our attention back to the BNP Paribas Open, they've always, well, at least for many years, it's been referred to as the fifth major. But how can you really call it the fifth major when Novak Djokovic isn't there or when the number one player in the world isn't there? And he hasn't been there for five years, but now he's back. How much of a difference, although Yannick Sinner is the it guy right now, and if it's not Yannick Sinner, it's Carlos Alcaraz, and if it's not Carlos Alcaraz, I'm not sure, it's Novak Djokovic. I mean, let's just face it, and he's back. And although he came off of a of a, a disappointing effort by his own admission against Sinner in the semis of the Australian Open, how much more does that legitimize the BNP Paribas Open as being viewed as that fifth major now that he's back? Well, to me, it changes everything, absolutely everything, because now you have the best player in the world playing, and then suddenly it means a lot more to be able to win the tournament, whether you beat Novak along the way. So it's massively important. Should they be allowed to call up the fifth major? I think with the fields they've had and the winners that they've had, I think it's uh, it's pretty legit that if there was a fifth major, they would most probably be first in line, I would think. Matt, when I started going to Indian Wells, which was in the last decade or so, I was blown away by the field for the doubles. Like all the top singles players were playing. I watched Stan Wawrinka and, and, and Roger Federer play together. I watched Rafael Nadal and Fernando Verdasco play together. I watched Novak Djokovic and, uh, you know, fill in the blank on the serve that he would be playing with. Nadal sometimes played with Mark Lopez. I think they won it a couple of times. Andy Roddick and Marty Fish. Like, you saw these singles players playing doubles. And now we've gotten to a point where the popularity of doubles since the retirement of the Bryan brothers is, is waning to a large degree. And we're also not seeing those fields at Indian Wells. What do you attribute that to? Yeah, doubles definitely needs a little bit of an injection of energy to me right now after the Bryan brothers. Uh, it's great to see uh, Rohan Bopana at 43 years old being number one in the world. Uh, it's great. He's a great guy. He's a great player. At the same time, how does that reflect on the other doubles players or doubles in general? I mean, you have to, whoa, that seems like, but he's most probably not going to have too many years there. Uh, but I think it'd be really important for the game of doubles to have uh, Novak and, and Sinner and, uh, and Rafa. These guys play doubles. And the main reason is that if Rohan Bopana plays with Mark Ebden. Matthew Ebden, yeah. And they come up against, let's just hypothetically say, Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic. Let's say they play. And Bopana and Ebden beat those two, oh, yeah. Novak and Rafa, which is very possible, and suddenly it completely legitimizes what doubles is all about, and they have a different skill set, and they're much faster at the net. They got better volleys if they only have to cover half the. So I think it's way more important than just for the Indian Wells tournament. I think for doubles going forwards, that it's really important that the doubles players then go ahead and beat the singles players, which hasn't happened all the time. But if they do, I think it really tells you how, how skillful some of the doubles experts are still, even without the Bryan brothers. So I'm going to ask this question, Matt, and I know I'm taking a big chance because I once asked Roger Federer 
a question at Indian Wells about Davis Cup. Didn't go well. Many people have had a great laugh at my expense watching that video on YouTube, but I'm going to ask you a question. So when I think about some of the doubles teams that we talked about that no longer or haven't played at Indian Wells in a while, could it be because they use the doubles at Indian Wells as sort of a warm-up for the doubles that they might play in the Davis Cup because they might have upcoming Davis Cup ties shortly after Indian Wells. And as a result, it gave them a, a couple of matches in the bank to be able to be prepared for a little bit more of a run at a Davis Cup. Could that have anything to do with what's going on in the draw at Indian Wells? Absolutely could have something okay. to do with it because often you see, uh, for example, you mentioned it, Novak Djokovic would play with Viktor Chojski or, uh, or Janko Tipsarevic and, uh, and, and Dahl and Lopez. And, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that, yes, because it's not like you need to play, uh, you know, 10, 15 doubles matches together before you play a Davis Cup, but one or two right. is massively important, I think. I remember trying to play uh, with uh, Stefan Edberg. We didn't play Davis Cup that often, but we did a couple of couple of matches, and then you try to find a place where you can maybe play one match in a smaller tournament or something. So I think it has everything to do with uh, the Davis Cup, and that doubles is so important. All right. Well, I wouldn't trade the opportunity to be on stage with you and Kevin Cronin, who's coming up next. So if you are going to Indian Wells and you're going to be there on that Thursday, if you weren't planning on it, you should now. The Bryan Brothers are going to perform. They've got Friday night, but they've given. we're going to be the warm-up band for the Bryan Brothers, and we'll take it. But we're going to do Thursday night, 4.30 to 6, on the stage at the BNP Paribas Open. It's 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 three monsters on the same stage. It's, it's Matt Svelander, Kevin Cronin, and somehow Andy Zoden is up there too. Well, some, you know, some, one of those things just doesn't belong. <laughs> March 7th, March, March 7th, 7th right? Thursday at 4.30. You got it. All right. When we come back, you will hear from Kevin Cronin when we do a Kick Serve Rock segment. So don't go away. We are kickserveradio.com and we are part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Hey, tennis fans, it's Sarah Z here. And I want to make sure that you've got the BNP Paribas open on your travel radar. March 6th through 17th at the Indian Wells Gardens. Go to bnpperibasopen.com and make your plans today. It is a tennis extravaganza you don't want to miss. Welcome back, everybody. Kickserveradio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And as promised, we are now doing a segment of kick serve rocks and when we do that you know what that means that means we gotta have a rock star fortunately we do he is kevin cronin the lead singer of ario speedwagon kevin it's always fun to get on here we talk music we talk tennis and we have got a huge tournament coming up which was the original scene of the crime where you and i met which is the bnp paribas open at indian wells garden just down the road from where you live I'm pretty excited. I don't know about you. I am extremely excited because uh, last year was, was was my first experience at the BNP Paribas. My, my wife, Lisa, has been going there for years. So luckily, last year, my schedule uh, opened up and I was able to go with her. And I just had a blast. It was so much fun. It's such a great tournament. So much 
just so much entertainment value there of, of all kinds. And uh, that's where you and I uh, quite accidentally bumped into one another. I mean, fortunately, you were wearing a little uh, name tag. I had the I, credential, yeah. Yeah, you had the credential. And uh, so I spotted you, and that, you know, that's where the story began. And here we are. This year, we're coming back to the scene of the crime, but it's going to be much bigger and better than ever before because you, my friend, are going to be part of the proceedings. And we, along with Matt's Vlander, are going to be on stage on Thursday, March 7th, putting on a show. And I look forward to that. But Kevin, I'm not going to lie to you. You are going to be asked to do most, if not all, of the heavy lifting. Great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no pressure. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was just going to be kind of hanging out for like comic relief. Maybe I sing a couple of notes of a tune here and there, but uh, no, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm a lifelong tennis uh, fanatic. My, my first guitar was a, a tennis racket turned upside down and, you know, jumping around in my in front of my parents' bedroom mirror, pretending I was Elvis. So, you know, I go, I go way back with tennis. Well, and Matt's goes way back with rock and roll. Now, you're saying your first guitar was a tennis racket. His first rock and roll album was REO Speedwagon. His brother came home from a tour uh, in the Swedish Army and gave him that album. And now he's getting an opportunity to perform on stage live with you at the BNP Paribas Open. And I don't know who's more excited, you, about being you know, next to Matt's V-Lander at a tennis tournament like the BNP or Matt's being on stage with you, you guys playing guitar and performing together. I think I might be the most excited of the three of us just because I get to stand there and marvel at the whole thing. Dude, I am definitely the, the, <laughs> the more excited because, I mean, I'm lucky that I've got, I'm surrounded by a group of, of, of great musicians that are, oh, that are, are you ever, but, but, but still, it's a lonely spot out there at center stage at the center stage mic. And if you're the lead singer and if you're, if you're not on your A game at any particular time, you know, it's all, it's, it's all on you. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to kind of, uh, support him, you know, play some rhythm guitar for him, sing some harmony, you know, what, when, when he takes over and sings a, sings a song. So you're not going to get off that easy. I'm afraid, Kevin, I, I, I would like to think that you would, but I want to, I want to talk about sort of the X's and O's of, you know, being on center stage at, at age 72, because you're going to be up there with us doing acoustic music. And a lot of guys, maybe don't necessarily still have the pipes that they once did when they were younger. You know, you hear, you hear Paul McCartney and it's like, well, he's still great because he's Paul McCartney, but he doesn't sound like he did in his prime with the Beatles. And, uh, and you still sound as good, if not better. What has been the secret to being able to go out there and stand in front of the crowds that you still do at this point in your career and sound as good as you do and be willing to go out there acoustic and know that you still got it and you do well i tell you see i was i was really smart when i was younger i set the bar extremely low <laughs> no, you did so that so, so, so thinking that <laughs> as i get older i'll be able to still sound like that because who couldn't uh but 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 seriously no i my son shane who uh is a recent graduate of the usc uh pop music vocal program uh, turned me on to his vocal professor uh, named Jeffrey Allen, who's just an amazing, another just ridiculously talented 
uh, kind, funny human being. And I'm, I'm, I'm so fortunate that I found a great coach at this point in my career, because as you know, and I'm, I'm sure Matt will, will agree that having a great coach is, is a, is a big part of it. And, and because it's a little, a part of it is the mental game too. So there, there's all kinds of parts of the game, but, but to, to your other point, you know, people hear ARIO Speedwagon records and they're, they're big and there's, they're, they're loud and they're, you know, we, we make it sound like we're in an arena. You know, that's our goal when we make records. Sure. But, but the truth is that any song on any ARIO Speedwagon record that you want to hear, I can sit down with you in your living room with an acoustic guitar and play you what that song sounded like at its core. And, right. and there was something about playing acoustically that I think people, I think people get kind of a charge out of it because they've heard, they've heard the record a million times. They've seen Ario Speedwagon in concert or whatever. But when I just go out and do an acoustic show where it's just, just myself and an acoustic guitar, they can really hear where the song, you know, where, where that germ of the song started from. And in my case, they're all very uh, serious germs, but, uh, <laughs> so, but, uh, uh, but, but I think it's, I think people kind of have fun hearing what the, what the stripped down version of, of the song is. And, and that's what, that's what we'll be doing. I'm going to be singing for a, a bunch of Tennis nuts, you know what I mean? It's gonna be, uh, it, it's gonna be interesting. I'm, I'm really looking you. That. You are gonna have them in the palm of your hand. It's gonna be Kevin Cronin unplugged, and it's gonna be Matt Vlander. We got all kinds of other surprises, but you want to be at the BNP on Thursday, March seventh, in front of that stage at four thirty p.m. local time for an hour and a half of a very unique. Very special, very fun night at the BNP Paribas. You're going to see Bob and Mike Bryan and their band on Friday night, but they have stepped aside so that they can do their show Friday night, letting us do Thursday night. How I'm even a part of this thing is anybody's best guess. You're a part of it because it's basically going to be kind of a live and in-person version of, of KickServe Radio. It's going to yeah. be right there, and and people can be a part of it. People can, you know, can, can interact. You know, I mean, I love, you know, involving the audience in what's going on. We'll be taking some questions, I'm sure, taking some requests, you know, having some fun, uh, you know, Probably, probably, you know, there, there might be a few uh, special guest hecklers in the crowd. I, I don't know. We'll see. You never know. I told my wife, you got to scream like we're the Beatles. Yes. And, uh, and so that's, that's, that's the, that's the hope. All right. It's, it's March 7th. It's at the BMP Paribas at Indian Wells. He's Kevin Cronin. Matt Vlander will be on the stage as well as a lot of other tennis dignitaries, maybe even some musical guests. You never know, but you don't want to miss it. When we come back, we'll be joined by Johnny Levine, as promised. Yes, he, he is part of our show, the Texas Longhorn legend. Kevin, I so look forward to the show, and it's going to be an absolute blast. Being on a stage with you is a dream come true for a kid that skipped college and – or not skipped college, but skipped a day of college to come down to San Antonio and see you live in 1982. And nice. here we are some 42 years later on the stage no. together. It's unbelievable. I'm going to be like a kid in a candy store. So I, I thank you, Andy, for, for uh, orchestrating this, making this happen. And I'm going to go out there and we're, we're going to have some fun on, on, uh, on that Thursday night. He's Kevin Cronin. Johnny Levine is next. This is kickserveradio.com. This is kickserve rocks.
and we're part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Don't go away. Hi, guys. Sarah Z here with a kick serve, quick serve with my friend and nutrition guru, Courtney Ward with Body Fuse. Courtney, as we ladies start to get, oh, shall I say, more advanced or more experienced in our life, our fitness levels take a hit if we're not careful, don't they? You know, Sarah, they do, unfortunately. And I highly suggest supporting your activities at every stage pre-workout, intra-workout, and post-workout. So you want to think about a pre-workout. We have a product called Endgame, and that basically will allow you to increase your energy and focus during your workout. And then intra-workout is almost just as critical. So we have branched-chain amino acids called BCAA311, and that's a perfect product to allow your body to almost refuel while you're working out. It's a super hydrator as well as a muscle recovery while you're working out. And then finally, protein is critical post-workout and body fuse lean protein is one of the highest quality proteins on the market. Very, very effective, a slow, long burn, six to eight hours after ingestion and after that workout. So your energy, you're not, you're not going to crash and your energy continues. You're feeding your muscles and you just feel Great. So with these three elements, pre, intra, and post-workout, you're really going to support yourself at all stages in any activities, in intense workouts, tennis matches, body strength conditionings, uh, sessions, etc. Fantastic. And one more time, Body Fuse. BodyFuseUSA.com. Well, I'm Sarah Z. She's Courtney with Body Fuse. And now back to more tennis talk with the KickServe Radio Boys. Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com, Tennis Channel Podcast Network. As promised, last but never least, he is our local Longhorn legend, two-time All-American Johnny Levine. And Johnny, I know you're getting excited. You're you're watching the rankings right now. You've got you know cutoffs to look at. You got players coming to town. There's a lot on your plate. But but as re- with regard to the rankings, Novak Djokovic is ranked number one in the world as we speak going into Indian Wells. Igor Svantec is ranked number one in the world on the women's side, but yet we sort of think of Arina Sabalenka as the best player in the world on the women's side, and there are plenty that would argue after Davis Cup and now the Australian Open, you can make an argument that right now Yannick Sinner is the best player in the world. Back in the old days and back when you were on tour in Mats, it was pretty well understood that if you won Wimbledon and certainly if you won the U.S. Open, if you won both, you were the number one player. There was no doubt about it. So do, do you find that the rankings are really, truly the gauge by which we should determine who people perceive as being the number one in the world? Is Djokovic the number one in the world right now? Here's Johnny. Well, Andy, you know, you make a good point as far as, you know, what have you done for me lately? Everyone looks at most recent results to to claim who might be the best at the time. But according to the ATP, the rankings and the way they do things, it's a body of work over 12 months. Right. So, you, you know, I agree with that system. Um, and, and you have to 
go by that ranking system. However, you know, it, it, it appears that Sinner uh, has Djokovic's number for the moment. But, you know, looking at, like you said, you know, you look at Wimbledon, you look at the U.S. Open and the victors of those are kind of kind of hold the, the torch for the year. Alcaraz and Djokovic. Alcaraz has struggled a little bit as of late. But look, all in all, uh, you know, you got to put those three guys at the top. And at any given time, you know, they're going to play the best tennis in the world and, and be considered the best tennis player in the world. So I would say look at look at all three of them as, as really it's a crapshoot right now. When you look at American tennis, which you love to do, you've got one player in the top 10, Taylor Fritz. 14, 15, and 16, Tommy Paul, Francis Tiafo, Ben Shelton. Then you drop down and Sebi Corda and Chris Eubanks at 33 and 34. Mackie McDonald comes in at 49. So that gives you, what, seven, eight players in the top 50. And then now with the result in Dallas, Marcos Giron, uh, formerly of UCLA, in at 52, you could almost consider him a top 50 player by virtue of the fact that he had the nice win particularly over number one seeded Francis Tiafo in Dallas, loses a tough three-setter to Tommy Paul in the final. So as we go into this sunshine double, the sunshine swing, if you will, I'll call it the sunshine triple because I'll throw your tournament in there as well, Indian Wells, Arizona, Miami. It looks pretty good for the Americans to be that loaded up with that many players, certainly in the top 50 at the moment. The U.S. is looking really good and, and – uh even when you get outside of the top 75 and you go to, let's say, 150, just a handful of guys, actually a slew of guys that are in that category that could, could break through into, uh, you know, soon to be the top 75. And, and I'll put a guy that's been playing tremendous tennis. It's a young guy that's gotten a little bit late start. He actually played for Steve Denton for a little while at uh, A&M, and that's Patrick Kipson. And this is a guy that uh, that won Kalamazoo a number of years ago and is currently sitting at 155. He's won a couple challengers. He's playing a real high level of tennis. He got the wild card entry, the U.S. Uh, wild card entry into the French Open um, and had done very well on the challenger circuit prior to that and has continued that great run. This is a kid that uh, we need to start looking out for and that's Patrick Kipson. Along those lines, you know, we've we've had Zachary Spider play at our tournament as a wild card in qualifying. He's a guy that won two Kalamazoo's in a row, turned pro, had some struggles, but has been on a tear on the challenger circuit. He just qualified at Delray Beach, and he's sitting at 146, soon to be in the top 100. And then you've got guys like Emilio Nava, who's a fabulous young guy. Michael Moe is a little older, who's had a a good run of recent. And then Alexander Kovacevic, who's just popped into the top 100, although now he bounced out. He's sitting at 102, is playing a very high level of tennis. Well, and Johnny, let's not let's not skip over the kid at 75, this this Alex Michelson. Yes. Who's really had a good run. Maybe won a couple of rounds, if memory serves, in the main in Australia. Yep. And he's had a good go, but another kid that played some college tennis as well. Well, he actually was headed to Georgia, Andy, oh, okay. and, and decided to turn pro. Okay. And this is a kid that uh, has really, really, you know, matured early and has been fighting very hard against, you know, the, the, the veterans out there. And at 19 years old, has 
has just had a great start to to his young career. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you're looking forward to having as many you know young Americans come to uh, the desert and come, not just the desert in, in Palm Desert, but obviously in Arizona. And your tournament is just a mere few weeks away. I, I guess it would be fair to say that as we record on February 15th, that the final player list is still yet to be released, correct? We will see that, Andy, on Monday. So we'll probably be releasing names as early as Monday afternoon. Definitely next Tuesday, um, we'll, we'll, we'll have the announcement at the very latest. And, uh, you know, we're hopeful that uh, our cutoff will be, you know, probably somewhere between, you know, 70 and 80 again, which is insane for uh, a challenger of this level, although we are at the top tier category, a new uh, category, the challenger ATP 175. So, um, yeah. And obviously you're being taken very seriously, Johnny, as well. You should be, because as we know, tennis channel is talking about at some point broadcasting the matches from that tournament, be it this year or next. And it could be as soon as this year, we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed on that. One of the guys that has been kind of one of the crowd favorites was your inaugural winner, Johnny. And, and, and we'd be remiss not to always talk about Matteo Berrettini this time of year. It was really a very sad situation the way he had to withdraw from the Australian open when he was to play Stefano Tsitsipas in the very first round, that was probably the premier first round match of the Australian open. And in the 11th hour, um, he had to pull out with a foot injury what is the latest that you know of on him? We've been getting conflicting reports on Nadal's health, but also Berrettini has got a situation where you just never really know from one week to the next where this guy's at. And it would really be a shame to see him not be able to continue forward because people just love watching him play. You know, we're hearing um, some some rumblings that, uh, you know, he's going to be coming back soon. We don't know when. We're We're just sitting – by the sidelines and waiting for announcements and uh, you know, whether he comes back at uh, Indian Wells or, or, you know, maybe, you know, soon after, we're not sure, but we'll be the, we will hopefully find out soon. And, uh, and maybe he'll even stop in Phoenix. We just don't know. A couple of guys that were in the draw last year that were also very entertaining that check in right now at 23 and 25 in the world, Alexander Bublik and Jan Leonard Struff. And let's start with Struff because he really had a good run, believe made it to the semifinals, and then had a great rest of the year. It's just amazing to me how many people kind of use Arizona as a springboard and then gain some confidence and suddenly play well the rest of the year. But what what amazed me about Struff, and I just want to make sure people know this because you should root for this guy. Johnny, this is one of the really good guys on our sport. And maybe I just caught him on a good day when he was in a good mood. You would know better than I, but he just seemed like the most – respectful, like exactly what a tournament director would dream of dealing with. Great player to watch, but a great, humble player to deal with. Yeah, he, he's just a class act, um, you know, John Leonard Struff, and he enjoyed Phoenix. I think he enjoyed his time here uh, and, and played some great tennis. We got him out to a couple of the Suns games, and I know he was very appreciative of that. And and actually, you know, his comeback to where he really had a great streak going started in Phoenix with getting to the semifinals. And and he's just been playing some great tennis. He continues to, he, you know, actually, you know, just beat uh, Fakina. Davidovich Fakina. Davidov- 
you know how I butcher there these There you things. go. We know but, who you're talking about. But but I got you to back me up. So Dubrovich Fakina, right. he just beat uh, seven six in the third in the first round of Rotterdam. So that that's that's a huge win. And and uh, you know he plays Rusevori now, who also was a has played our tournament. And then you look at Bublik, who just won last week in France a tournament, a 250, and is playing great tennis, sitting now at 23 in the world. He won his first round in Rotterdam, uh, beating Korich. So, you know, th- these two guys are uh, are great players. They're playing great tennis, and 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 they were uh, they were definitely enjoyed their time in Phoenix, and it'd be great to get them back in the tournament. Nuno Borges, your defending champion, checking in at 46 in the world, and again, coming off of a brilliant Australian Open, beat Grigor, did he not? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And he got a set off in Medvedev. He lost in four. Right. He is really playing some excellent tennis. Uh, he's winning matches at tour events, uh, fourth round of a major. So this is a guy that, uh, you know, is now sitting at 47 in the world. He's top 50 in the world. And um, I'm sure he couldn't be happier and and, and, and is looking to, to get into the top 30. Uh, and it's, And it's very possible. Rounding out some of the Americans that are worthy of mention, Brandon Nakashima at 92, J.J. Wolf at 94, both Arizona Tennis Classic veterans, as is, as you mentioned, Alexander Kovacevic, maybe one of the prettiest one-handers that you'll see out there. As you say, he just dropped out of the top 100 by two spots, so he's 102 in the world right now. Johnny, Andy Murray, as we speak, 50 in the world. And I find it curious that a guy with his pedigree – and his background and his resume and his credentials is is happy at 50 in the world, but he also doesn't seem unhappy. This is just a guy that just loves playing tennis and is maybe just putting off the inevitable, which is life after being on the tour. Um, are you surprised that at this level, Andy Murray is still grinding away the way he is? You know, I am a little bit handy. He's married with four kids. He's four. I believe he's got four, four kids. I think so, Andy. I want to look that, that one up. up? I, I know sure. Federer's got two sets of twins, but I didn't know that there was something in the water that Andy Murray also had four. But anyway, go ahead. Well, anyways, Andy Murray is, you know, he's 36, right? He's had the hip injuries. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the game has definitely take, taken its toll on him. Uh, am I surprised? I am a little bit, but he's such a fighter. He's such a competitor. I think the guy loves the game. I think he, um, you know, it's, it's, it's in his blood. I think he wants to play as long as his body will let him. Although I did hear that this could be his last year and, um, Hey, you know, he, he's going to have a bright future in whatever he endeavors uh, going forward, but I think he might be very, very close to the end, Andy. Johnny, last time we got together, we talked, we lamented the state of men's doubles on tour. But in reality, when it comes to your tournament, what we've seen in Arizona has been literally a level that could be that of, of a grand slam. Like the guys that win your tournament, suddenly you look up and they're in the semis of the next major. So I think for those that feel that doubles is dropping off a little, you might find some optimism in watching the doubles. I mean, some of those matches that I have 
had the great pleasure of introducing the players on court. I just marvel at who I'm watching play there. And I'm just thinking to myself, I could very well be introducing the semis of the U S open on Ash stadium for who the players are that are playing in this thing. Are you looking forward to that stacked of a doubles draw again this year? Yeah. And I think we probably will get it. And, and the reason being is, this is the top doubles guys, you know, they're not, they don't need like two weeks break before the next tournament. Like a lot of guys, they just go look, will look forward to time off after Indian Wells versus playing another event. They'll want to get to Miami early in practice. Whereas the doubles guys, they just want to play every week. And, and they, it does the, the game doesn't take a toll like it does on the singles player. So, so guys in doubles are looking to make as much money as they can play as much as they can. There's plenty of other weeks off. So we do sometimes sneak in a top, you know, some of the top guys for the doubles and, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll have that again. I mean, look, in the, in the inaugural year, we had Rohan Bopana play. He was considering retirement. The guy's 43 years old, just won the Australian and um, he's one in the world. He, he's one in the world. And so maybe he'll come. We'd love to have, we would welcome Rohan Bopana back. And he's a great guy. Another, like we were talking about Jan Leonard Struff, another tournament director's dream, Rohan Bopana. You know, I mean, all, all these guys that, you know, Rajiv Ram, I mean, these guys are just such good dudes. Good guys. And they're great players to watch. And the doubles at, at, at your tournament when you're sitting up close like that is awesome. I can't wait. It's the Arizona Tennis Classic. It's coming up fast. It is March 11th through 17th. Go to ArizonaTennisClassic.com. You can get tickets. The hospitality is wonderful. The venue is wonderful. The weather is outstanding. Johnny Levine is one of the most gracious tournament directors and hosts. He's got a great team around him other than myself. He's loaded with the Weller Evanses and Miguel Nitos of the world. I mean, so this is a, this is a really high-level group of guys putting on a really high-level tournament. Johnny, good luck with it. I look forward to seeing you in Palm Springs. And then at your tournament in Phoenix, where for whatever reason, you continue to still put the microphone in my hand at the risk of whatever might happen with that. Thank you, Andy. And we'll look forward to seeing you for a fun time in Indian Wells. And then uh, right on the off after that, we'll, uh, we'll have some fun in Phoenix for the, for the, for the tournament. Thank you, Matt Svelander. Thank you, Kevin Cronin. Thank you, Johnny Levine. I'm Andy Zoden. This is kickserveradio.com featuring one little sliver of kickserve rocks as we occasionally like to do. We are part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We hope to see you in the desert.